Jesus is coming. And the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. What's this all about, anyway? What's this stuff about? Antichrist? The second coming? Hmm. Well, we welcome you back this morning uh, to the book of First John. We have been making our way chapter by chapter through this book, and this morning we are in First John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along. Some of the verses will be on the screen. But I think it's important this morning that you have sermon notes. Uh, there's a lot in here that I'd like to go over this morning. Some of it I'll touch on. Some of it we'll refer on to further study. And so, uh, everyone got sermon notes? Anybody need them? Yep, we got a few. Just uh, lift your hand there. We'll be glad to get you some sermon notes. And uh, that will help follow along. Now... Those verses that you heard read from 1 John chapter 4 need to be placed in their proper context. It's very important that we understand what was happening in John's world when he made those statements. And so that's where we begin. 1 John chapter 4. There were lots of false teachings. There was mystery religions popping up. There were spiritual experiences and already many variations to Christianity by the end of the first century. And John had walked with Jesus and now he's at a point where he's nearing the end of his life. And so he's reflecting on the current cultural conditions uh, with all of this happening. And I don't see it much different than the day in which we live, quite honestly. There was a sense of spirituality uh, among the people, but there were lots of differing views on what really is truth. What is truth? Where is it found? What does it look like? How can we know it's the truth? Those kinds of questions and and thrown into that mix are all kinds of of spiritual experiences that people are having. And so that's the context in which we find John's words. He presents a definitive and divine solution for wading through all of this stuff, all the varieties of beliefs and teachings that were happening. So he challenges readers to listen carefully to what was being taught. That's where he begins. Make sure you're listening carefully to what is being taught. Why? Because people are the same today as they were then. Some people believe everything they hear. And if the internet says it, it must be true. (laughs) Right? Some people are quite gullible. They believe everything they hear. How many of you know that kind of a person? They just listen to things like, yeah, I guess it makes sense to me. George Parker, who died in Sing Sing Prison in 1936, is remembered as one of the greatest con men in American history. Perhaps you've not heard of George Parker. He made his living selling property he didn't own. And one of his calling cards was, as immigrants were flooding into the country, he sold them again and again and again the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, Eventually, that got him in a little bit of hot water, and uh, he ended up 
in prison. But that's where we get the phrase that we use today. And if you believe that, I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you. That's from George Parker because some people believe everything they hear and a whole lot of people are really, really gullible. And if it sounds good, if it feels good, must be true, right? And so John speaks into that kind of a notion. He says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. He's saying be very careful. Be very careful because not everyone is speaking by the Spirit of God. Notice Spirit's capitalized in that passage. So he says, listen carefully to what is being taught. Don't believe everything you hear, please. Then he gives us a second idea. He says this in the form of a command. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. You must test them. Who's them? The person who claims to be speaking for God. Absolutely. That personal pronoun referring back to those who claim to be speaking for God. Now, that's an important verse. And uh, here at Southside, uh, we believe in testing the spirits because it's pretty simple. Uh, They're either coming from the spirit of God or it's coming from the spirit of Satan. You only have two choices. It's really pretty simple. And here at Southside, we do have those folk who practice deliverance, not in the Hollywood head spinning around kind of deal. Uh, But we understand we live in a spiritual world, and this command was not just valid for John's day, it's valid for our day. And so we must test the spirits to see if they are, in fact, coming from God. But that's a whole different kind of message. John's directing his attention, this divine test, towards false teachers. False teachers, he wrote, had the spirit of the Antichrist. What? The spirit of the Antichrist. Christ. What's this all about, anyway? The spirit of the Antichrist. Well, most folk who don't follow Jesus would not be too thrilled about discussing the Antichrist. That's more for a Hollywood kind of thing, isn't it? But the thought of a dynamic world leader, a global community, a worldwide monetary system, and a universal religious structure in which everyone would come together and world peace in actual possibility... Huh. That would be welcome relief to our weary world, right? I think the world is being set up for such a moment as this, when there might be a chance at peace on earth. But for those of us who follow Jesus, the Bible gives us clear instruction and information about an individual who is yet to come. Incredibly powerful, extremely intelligent, tremendously charismatic. He is a man who is the most evil person to walk the earth. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. The Antichrist. That's what John is referring to here. Now, the word Antichrist only appears five times in the Bible. Only five times in the Bible. Four times are in the book of 1 John, and three times are in these verses that we're talking about. Right. So that's why we're focusing on this this morning. Now, in verse 3, notice the word Antichrist is capitalized. It's different than his other references to the spirit of the Antichrist. Why is a word capitalized in one sense and then not in another? What does the capitalization of a word mean? Hmm? 
It's a person. It's a specific person. Exactly right. That's a title that this person has. The Antichrist. So, when it's capitalized, John is referring to this coming incarnation of evil. The son of Satan, a man of lawlessness who will deceive the world into peace, then will receive what appears to be a mortal wound. He will die. He will live again, being raised to life. He will then claim to be God. In the Bible, he is called the beast. The beast. And we've left references there for you. He will possess great power. He will then demand to be worshipped. Revelation makes that very clear. This guy might be alive today. He very well could be alive today. I don't know. We've been waiting for roughly 2,000 years. But all indicators are it's much closer than it was. So the Antichrist may be out there. Now, if you want to study more about the Antichrist, I put some notes at the end of the sermon notes for you just to dig in. But I'm not so concerned about the Antichrist, the capitalized one. I'm far more concerned about the uncapitalized Antichrist. Why would I say that? Why would I say that? Well, Antichrist means against Christ. The prefix anti can mean against, right? In your car, what do you put in the radiator? Anti-freeze. What does that do? It's not allowed to freeze, right? It's against freezing, right? And so that prefix anti can certainly mean uh, against the against Christ. Adolf Hitler, for example, was a type of antichrist. I think we would all agree to that. He stood in direct opposition to God's principles. He slaughtered millions and millions of people. He wanted to rule the world as God. He made that very clear. He thought he was a God. Now, here's where it gets interesting because the prefix anti can also mean instead of or in place of. Not against, not opposed, but in place of. And so we put a verse in there for you just to give the idea. In Greek, in James 4.15, instead, that's the word anti, same word, you ought to say if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. But the idea being, it's translated instead of, in place of, not against. Now think about this. Hang on to that thought. Both are accurate. Even more dangerous, even more dangerous than the against Christ, the Antichrist capitalized, Even more dangerous than that is to substitute the instead of Christ, the in place of Christ, the lying pretender. That's what John is addressing here. Yep, far deadlier than this one who is to come are the many Antichrist mini-me's that have been running around for the last 2,000 years. John spoke of them in his day, and they are far more prevalent today, I believe. They're in our midst right now. The same evil spirit that will empower the Antichrist of the last days that John is referring to, will and are currently operating with the spirit of the Antichrist in our world today. So the spirit of the Antichrist brings confusion and deception to the truth of who Jesus really is. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, those who teach that Jesus is not from God, or those who teach that Jesus is not God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the God incarnate, as it were, are actually controlled, John would say, by the spirit of the Antichrist. They're not just out there with some kind of weird teaching. They're actually fueled and empowered with the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what he's saying. 
Now, the spirit of the Antichrist twists the truth about the person of Jesus Christ and beyond that lead people astray a wrong path away from the truth of Jesus. And it is very intentional to lead people away from the truth of Jesus. It's not just kind of weird teaching. No. No, it goes far deeper than that. And that's why John would say, don't believe everything you hear, and you better test them to see where this is going. Because there's a lot at stake here. Okay? Now, this is not just defective theology we're talking about. This is diabolical. This is absolutely diabolical. Now, John identifies them as human teachers. The, the uncapitalized, the spirit of the Antichrist, the Antichrist minimes, and they've been running around. We can, we can think of some, uh, from, from my generation, uh, for example, who's ever heard of Jim Jones? Yeah, Jim Jones. Yeah. Who led 914 people to a Kool-Aid concoction mass suicide in Guyana in 1978. It was horrid. It's the year I came to Jesus. I'm like, man, this is really confusing. What's going on here? A former member said Jones showed his true colors when he threw his Bible on the floor and he said, too many people are looking at this instead of looking at me. Hmm. This person went on to say he wanted to be called Father and he wanted us to pray to him. He wanted us to carry around his picture in our wallets. Today they'd be on the phone. <laughs> right? Now we might snicker and shake our heads. That's stupid. How naive. How idiotic. How dumb do you have to be to follow a guy like that? <laughs> Not very. John says, be careful. Be very, very careful. Now, part of my charge from God is to guard the flock because the Bible makes it clear that the attacks, the spirit of the Antichrist, come from within. It's not the opposed to Christ. It's those, the lying pretender, the instead of, the in place of Christ that causes the most danger in the church today. In Acts chapter 20, we won't go to that passage of Scripture, but Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. He's saying, bye guys, I'm about cooked here. And uh, they wept together, but what he said was this. Be on your guard. Because it'll be like wolves in sheep's clothing, and they'll come from your own ranks. Here they are, coming up from the inside. And so I remember Jim Stevens. Jim Stevens came to a church I pastored formerly, and uh, he was a part of a cult. I'm not going to say which one because it doesn't make any difference. But he had twisted who Jesus really is. And he said, I'm here because I want to be a teacher. Oh, he's tremendously charismatic, tremendous people skills. What a guy. Everybody just kind of embraced him. So I met with good old Jim, and we went toe-to-toe for six consecutive weeks. Six weeks looking at what Scripture said about the person of Jesus. And finally, I just said to Jim, you are no longer welcome here. You are no longer welcome here. Sound like a loving Jesus kind of gooey moment, huh? No, because that's my charge to guard the flock. And if I have to lay my life down to do that, I will do that. Because the attacks will come from within. And so John's words are very, very relevant, in my opinion, for today. Hmm. Hmm. Paul wrote that a sign of the end would be people not wanting the truth, but following teachers their itching ears wanted to hear. Hmm. No one hearing the truth, no one telling the truth. We get in real big trouble in this kind of environment. Many churches today, you can't too, talk too much about sin or holiness or sacrifice or commitment. Why? They don't bring in large crowds, and God forbid they won't bring in large offerings. How can we survive? 
So let's talk about something else. Let's hear about love and blessing and prosperity. Let's talk about how you can be the best version of yourself. And Jesus will help you be the best version of yourself. God help us. What are we doing? He came to save us and set us free from ourselves. I don't want to be the best version of myself. I want to be the Jesus version of myself. How about you? That sound good to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. John wrote that the one who denies that Jesus Christ is God, the only eternal Son of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, is not from God. Who is Jesus? This is the critical question. It was in John's day. It is in our day. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? Do we believe the Jesus of the Bible? Hmm. Hmm. Cults are flourishing around the world. Disguised in Christian language, they masquerade as truth-tellers. But they're lying pretenders instead of Christ. A former member of the Watchtower Society, which is Jehovah's Witnesses, W.J. Schnell, wrote a book entitled 30 Years of Watchtower Slave. He stated, after all this training that he'd gone through in Watchtower, through Jehovah's Witnesses, this chilling kind of strategy. Here's what he wrote. The Watchtower leadership sensed that within the midst of Christendom were millions of professing Christians who were not well-grounded in the truth once delivered to the saints and who would rather easily be pried loose from the church. This lack of proper knowledge of God would yield masses of men and women. I believe we are living in a time in which we are witnessing the widespread influence of the spirit of the Antichrist, twisting the truth as to who Jesus is. It's a dangerous time. I I believe that. But I want to, before I transition to the end of this message, make sure we're understanding this. There is absolutely no reason to be afraid Because fear is not from God, correct? Fear is not from God. And so, John helps us here. John reminds us the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth which sets us free and dwells every follower of Jesus. He provides protection from the spirit of the Antichrist. And this is the proper context for this verse that often as believers we just kind of throw around and maybe misapply. John says, you've already won a victory over those people. Who are those people? Who's he referring to? It's them. It's those people. Who's he referring to? Yeah. Those influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. That's correct. Yeah, the false prophets. Those who have been influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Do you believe that? And kind of we kind of flip that around. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Put it in its proper context. Put it in its proper context. There's no reason to be afraid of the spirit of Antichrist. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. We will overcome. How? By the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. That's right. We have no reason to be afraid. That spirit can be 
quelled, squelched, wiped out in the presence of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because greater's who's in us? Jesus is in us. Greater than anything the world can throw at us. As long as we're in Christ. Leaning into the Holy Spirit's function. He is the Spirit of truth. He will guide us into all truth. And the lies will be made very clear. But you've got to be walking close to Jesus. Otherwise we're listening, listening, listening. All this stuff that's going on out there. Instead of fear, we look forward with faith. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let the Antichrist come. going to be terrible times in this world, I believe. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. All right, before I transition to the end of the message, I want to make sure everybody's on board. Any questions, any comments? You are free to ask a relevant question. Not on how many days left until Christmas. Uh, 24, okay. Okay, see, that's common knowledge. I mean, just Google it, right? Uh, <laughs> a relevant question. Good. About what we've been talking about. Bob? It was interesting you contrasted a little bit the, the, the Antichrist, the person, uh, from those influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist. You're not necessarily saying every lie, every heresy, every misunderstanding is from the Antichrist, but it is part of... Uh, an erosion that we just need to be careful of, but maybe that's a different message and a different uh, passage that would refer to that point of view. Sure, I think that's a very valid question uh, that Bob's asking. Uh, is is every you know bit of teaching that's kind of whacked out uh, coming from the Antichrist? Well, I, I think if we simplify, I think I'm, I'm just a simple guy. I'm just a really simple guy. It's either from God or it's not from God. And if it's not from God, where's it from? And we've got these two constantly. The war is going on in your soul right now. You can feel it. Good. It's not like a good angel and bad angel on our shoulders, right? Forget all that stuff. But you referred to one being more dangerous. It really could be that this erosion of truth is much more heinous because you don't even know that it's there. It's not opposing Christ directly. Excellent. And, and it's coming within our churches and even. It's something we need to be on our guard. Yes. And I think that's the point. It's the instead of, the in place of Christ that to me is far more dangerous because it's far more subtle. And you know what? That, that spirit's at work in each of our lives, pulling us away from Jesus. We don't have to believe some whacked out teaching about this. But it lulls us to sleep spiritually. It just begins to make our faith just you know something we do on Sundays, and, and limits the power of, that Jesus wants us to have. Uh, anyway, that's all. Taking that whole different direction. Okay, good. Done. Does the um, does the internet play a big role with the information that the false information or that comes through the internet and through uh, social media? Um, can the spirit of Antichrist take that form as well? Yeah, Don's asking, does the internet, does social media, uh, can that accelerate false teaching? What do you guys think? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, for those of us that are a bit older, this was not possible in our generation. 
for some of these biblical prophecies to, to come true. That, that this worldwide system, uh, both religious and financial, uh, just totally. But now, we are one big happy global family, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, and it's accelerated by these kinds of things. And for those of us that are a bit old, man, this is happening so fast. So fast. Where we can know instantly, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I, I sense in my spirit that the setup's coming. The setup is coming. Yeah. And, and look at the erosion even of our culture so quickly. But that's a whole different thing. Good. That's a good point. Yeah. How is it communicated? Yeah. Good. Anybody else? Question? Okay. Let's uh, kind of wrap this up then. Now, as we saw in 1 John chapter 1, John saw and heard, he touched, he walked with Jesus. Remember, back in 1 John, we discussed all that. He was right there with him. And now we're in chapter 4. Now John's life has moved on from walking with Jesus as a disciple Jesus loved, of course. Uh, now he's nearing the end of his life, and he's going to meet Jesus again, uh, this time uh, in paradise. So John wrote extensively about his second coming. The book of Revelation is a part of that, but so are some of the thoughts in 1 John. Now, as we prepare to celebrate God becoming flesh, coming to earth this Christmas season, that's what we as believers do uh, at Christmas time, I want to make sure we're never losing sight of the fact that he's coming again. And all this talk about the Antichrist and all the rest of this stuff, uh, these are all warnings from John that Jesus is coming again. Here's what John said. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns... Uh, who's he, by the way? Uh, not yet. Who's he? Yeah. When Jesus returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him, that being Jesus in shame. All who have this eager expectation that Jesus is in fact coming will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Huh. Indeed, the next major event in Bible prophecy is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. That should excite us. It really should. Some of you grew up hearing about it. Others like me who were raised in the church never heard about it. It wasn't until I was in my 20s I was like, huh? This is Jesus who died on the cross? Yeah, yeah I heard that one. But he's coming again? He's coming again. Huh. Okay. Did you know that Jesus is returning visibly and physically to the earth? He is returning visibly and physically to the earth when he was taken up, right? Men of Galilee, why you stand here looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken from you shall return in like manner, visibly, physically, to the earth. Were you aware that the second coming of Jesus is mentioned eight times more than his first coming in Scripture? Eight times more. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament talk about it. It's the theme of chapters. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, for example, and entire books of the Bible, First and Second Thessalonians, all deal in some regard to the return of Christ to the earth. His second coming is going to be a whole lot different than his first. That we can be assured of. Okay? So is that chart in your sermon notes? Good. Already there. Thanks, Aaron. Nice job. So... Real quickly, we'll just buzz through this. First time around, he came as the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes upon himself the sin of the world. Second coming, ah, he's coming as the Lion of Judah. 
He came as our Savior. He will save his people from their sins. He will return as judge. He came as a suffering servant. Isaiah gives us that incredible picture of Jesus. Nothing about him that would attract us to him. Nothing at all about him. And yet he bore our sorrows and carried our iniquities. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You know the passage. But he's coming back as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. It's written right on his thigh. Bring it, Jesus. He came in a stable. He's returning in the clouds. At his first coming, you have this uh, little holy huddle in your, from your nativity scene that you've set up. you got the shepherds and the wise men and the cute little animals there, right? First time around, second time around, everyone's going to see him. Every eye will see him, Revelation says. It's not hidden. It's open to everyone. It's going to be a shocker. He came for us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. This time he's coming with us because as he's on that white charger, there is behind him an incredible army of those who have gone before, returning with him. And behold, he comes. He's riding on the clouds, and with him is a great army. And I want to be on one of those horses. I want to be on one of those horses when this thing is finally set right. Wow. Now, we can never underestimate the importance of the first coming of Christ. It changed the world. God with us. Emmanuel. Wow. The world would never be the same. But the wonder of the Christmas story should thrill the heart of every Jesus follower, not just in December, but all year round. And if his his second coming is mentioned eight times more than his first coming, uh, think about this with me. It's got to do more than thrill our hearts. It must change the way we live our lives. It must determine how we spend our resources of time and money and talents. It should change how we live our lives. You see, I am absolutely convinced Christmas is not a time to look backward to Bethlehem. It's time to look forward to New Jerusalem. That's our home. That's where we're going. Forget about Bethlehem. It's already done. That's old news. But he's coming again. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And it's all about New Jerusalem. And John saw a city descending. Wow. Absolutely incredible. And behold, he makes all things new. And so, yeah, Christmas, it's good. It's, it's great. But I, I, I don't think that Jesus gives much of a rip about celebrating his birthday as he wants us to be living our lives in a manner that brings him honor and glory. That's where our focus should be. Not on his birth, on his return. That makes sense to anybody here? I hope so. I hope so. Here's what Peter wrote. We're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen... Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. Yeah, it's got to change the way that we live. Because He's coming. Because He's coming. May we be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. Even so, come Lord Jesus, come now. And Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, one of my favorite things about Christmas. How many of you ever heard of Ebenezer Scrooge? How many of you are Ebenezer Scrooge? (laughs) Bah, humbug. (laughs) 
But Scrooge found freedom from the chains that he had forged in life, and he was visited by three angels, right? The ghosts, actually. Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. And because of that visitation, he learned how to dance again. He learned how to celebrate life. He learned the value of relationships of those around him. But I think what's really cool about that story is that he discovered he could write a different ending to his story by a decision that he made today. He could change his destiny by a decision that he made today. That his life story could be rewritten. The end of his life, the remainder of his life could be different. If he made a decision today, his destiny would be different. And he did it. And he found freedom. And he lived much differently at the end of his life than he did at any time before that. And that is what's available to every one of us today. If we simply would turn to Jesus and say, Wow, you're coming again, Lord. I got some things in my life I'm not so happy about. I might shrink back in shame. Uh, I'm trying to get my act together, but I'm not quite there. And that's all of us saying that, right? That's all of us saying that. We're all in process. But Lord, I want to be ready when you come. I want to be ready when you come. I want my life story to end differently than it's going right now. I want to choose today to live like Jesus is coming this afternoon. Here's what Paul wrote. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. We look forward with hope. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. The Lord is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, can't wait. Can't wait. As I said, we're all a work in progress. Just a moment, we're going to close our service. If there's something there that you're sensing, man, I could really use some help. I need some prayer in this area. I'd ask that you come forward, and there's going to be some folk here who would love to pray with you. I don't, by the way, we don't have an official prayer team, so if you feel just kind of led to come up here and pray for some folk who come up, uh, we'll let the Holy Spirit take care of that one, okay? Okay? So if, if you need some prayer and you know, you're just trying to turn a corner here, you'd like to make that kind of decision, I'd like the, the rest of my life to end or go a little differently than it's going right now. I choose Jesus. Or, man, I know Jesus, but he and I have just been disconnected for a little bit. And uh, i got to get this right. i got to get this right. Or you, you sense you're under the weight of something that's happening in your life right now. He said, Jesus, this is way too much for me. I need somebody to help carry this burden. Uh, we got some folk here who would love to pray with you. It's all a decision to be made. So as the folk are heading out that way, you come this way, and we'd, we'd love to pray with you. Just that leave that in the hands of Jesus, where it belongs.